Welcome to MPT Podcast. This is Pastor Tim Wilbanks. We pray that this Word of God will bless your life and ministry increase God's blessing upon you. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. We started something a while back at home and... Uh, Boy, they baptized one this morning at home, and we had six first-time guests. Hallelujah. We went back to Sunday night service. (laughs) For 12 years, I think, we didn't have Sunday night service. The preacher lost his mind, and I started praying. I might have mentioned this the last time I was here. I said, Lord... I'm going to pray about Sunday night service. And the Lord spoke to me and said, what's there to pray about? You got to pray about more church? And I said, well, I get it. So I pumped it up and we said, we're having Sunday night service. And we'd have about 100... 115 on Sunday morning. Sunday night we'd have about 25. And I thought the preacher was going to backslide. I started kicking and bucking, putting everybody in hell. I realized the only person that was leaving mad was me. You, you got to have spiritual muscle on Sunday night. Everybody shouts on Sunday morning, but you got to have some spiritual muscle, you know. I saw some of you. It wasn't bad intentions. I, I saw some of you. It's not bad intentions. It's, it's really not. You're not doing it because you're not caring. But I noticed some of you praising and yawning. Help, help me, Holy Ghost. Speak the name. Name above I, I get it. I really do. It takes spiritual muscle on a Sunday night. Two Sundays ago, we had our best crowd ever on a Sunday night. We had 64. Now, that don't sound like a lot to y'all, but 64 on a Sunday night when we hadn't had Sunday night service. Son, that was revival. And we have found that our best church has been Sunday night. You know why? Because the ones coming are intentional. The ones coming on Sunday night want to be here. Oh, help me. I said they want to be here. And you know what happens when you position yourself hungry to hear from God? You're going to be fed. When you position yourself to be blessed of God, you're going to be blessed. Hallelujah. The prophet said he'll rise with healing in his wings. Anybody ever heard that? He would rise with healing in his wings. And Jesus was walking and a lady touched him and he said, who touched me? Disciples said, Lord, there's everybody around you. They're pressing upon you and you're going to ask who touched you. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. See, she pressed through and touched the hem of his garment because the Jews understood that the identity of the man was sewn into the hem. Oh, help me. 
So when she touched him, she just wasn't trying to get a financial blessing. She realized who he was. And he said, who touched me? And the disciples said, Lord, we don't know who touched you. There's a crowd. He said, no, no, no. Virtue. They identified with my identity. They identified with who I am. And somehow tonight, if you can identify with who he is, you can leave here changed. Somebody give him some praise. Hallelujah. Well, we are blessed to be here again tonight. Thank you. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 7. Boy, so thankful for your response this morning. Move of God here today. I'm just trying to help you folks. How many need help? Yeah. I meant what I said. You've got the best preaching. you got the best preachers through here. I'm not here to impress by any means, shape, or form. I'm here to give you the word of God as God's laid it upon my heart. And I'm going to help somebody tonight. I'm going to help somebody tonight. Hallelujah. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 7. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Let's go on. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. For the next little while, I want to preach to you with the help of the Lord. Survival stories. Survival stories. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Pray, God, that you'd help us. I pray, God, that you'd speak to us, God, that each and every one of us, Lord, would open up our hearts, our hearing and understanding, that we would, Lord Jesus, leave change by the power of your word. We're better off for coming and hearing it than we were for staying at home. In your wonderful name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. If you're going to preach with me, if not, just remain standing. (laughs) Troubled on every side means to be hemmed in in everything. Bewildered, but not, one interpretation says, but not benighted. And benighted means to be overtaken by darkness, unenlightened and confused. Never, hear me, never in my 20-some years of pastoring, 28 years of pastoring, have I seen the saints of God more confused than what they are right now, more distracted than what they are right now, more overwhelmed than what they are right now. I don't know how it is here in Middleton, but I know how it is in Macon. I can't fight one battle. I got to fight four or five at one time. You can't just fight problems in the home. You got to fight jobs. You got to fight neighbors. You got. It's like things are compounded. The distractions. I'm not here to preach a down message, but I do want to enlighten you. It's like the distractions are overwhelming. Come on, somebody. Perplexed. But not in despair. Pressed. I gotta get these back on. I can't see nothing. Pressed, but not oppressed. Literally, the words mean being at a loss, but not utterly lost. I want to say that again. Being at a loss, but not utterly lost. Pressed means to be closed in. 
confined, squeezed. It's the work of the enemy to do that to us. He's doing his best to squeeze us. He knows his time is limited. You ought to remind him every now and then that his time's limited. You ought to remind him when you're fighting the, the things of this world and you're fighting things that seem to be overwhelming. Say, well, give me your best shot because your time's limited. Eternity's going to kick in and you're going for your, to your forever home and I'm going to paradise. I'm going to the place that God has prepared for me. So I will endure it down here, but your day's coming, devil. Oh, you don't pray like that. That's how I pray. Hallelujah. I love survival stories. In fact, I have preached all over where I've been invited to go about Aaron Ralston who got his arm hung in Blue John Canyon and when he weighed the cost and did everything that he could to free himself and realized that he couldn't free himself, he cut his arm off. He cut it off and he walked out of Blue John Canyon alive instead of dead. And the Bible speaks of that. If your right arm offend you, then cut it off. It's better to go to heaven. Well, praise God. And, and I love survival stories. I love reading about them, but some are better than others. And, and uh, I, I uh, run across one about an Italian police officer who decided that he was going to do a race. It was a race in the desert, uh, in the Sahara Desert in 1994. He was a keen athlete, a long-distance runner. He was very fit and had trained for this six-day run in the sands of Morocco. And during the race, a sandstorm caused him. His name was uh, Mar Mauro, not Mario, but Mauro Prospery. And during the race, a sandstorm caused him to become disoriented and he lost his sense of direction and, and he didn't know where he was at. And he found himself wandering into an abandoned Muslim shrine in Algeria. In order to survive, he killed and ate bats. For fluid, he would do the unthinkable. He would drink his own urine, lick dew off the rocks, suck moisture out of wet wipes. You're thirsty when you're sucking moisture out of wet wipes. Assuming he would never be found, he slit his wrist with a penknife from his supplies. He decided that it was over, that no matter what he would do, he would not be found in time and that he was going to die right there. So after weighing the cost and saying, well, I give it my best shot, he slit his own wrist. But the problem was that he was in a very dry climate. When he slit his wrist, they clotted immediately, dried up. So now he had cut himself to die and couldn't even die. So he decided that his only hope was to get up and walk. So walk he did. Walk he did. And for nine days, he walked through the desert, ate insects and anything else he could find. Finally, he wandered into a small village. From there, was flown to a hospital. From there, he was flown to a hospital where he was given the aid that he needed. By the time the dust had settled, he had traveled 180 miles in all. He had lost 35 pounds of body weight during his ordeal. It took several months before he could even eat solid food again. But he remained as enthusiastic and ever. And in 2012, he went back to do that race. 
Why would you say that? Why would you tell us about that? Big deal. Whoopee. Who cares about this man that did that? Well, I, I want you to know that there is uh, survival stories and accounts of this that are littered all throughout Scripture. And we think it just breaks up the monotony of reading the begats. And we think it just helps us get through the tough places in Scripture. But they're there for our understanding. They're there to remind us the race is not to the swiftest, it's not to the fleetest of foot, but it's to the man that squares his shoulders and says, I'm going to finish what I started. I'm going to finish what I began. I may not do it with all my body intact. I may have to drag myself, but I've started and I'm going to... Oh, I've started and I'm going to finish. I may not be the first one to cross, but I'm going to cross. I may not be the first one to hit the flag, but I'm coming. I'm coming. I've made up my, is there anybody that's made up their mind? Is there anybody that's made up their mind? I'm going to finish this race. I started out serving the Lord many years ago. You heard, we used to sing that song. Have a lot of heartache, had a lot of. But when I'd stumble, then I'd humbly bow. And it's then I'd say, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. Yeah, look at your neighbor and say, I'm still here. The devil tried to take me out, but I'm still here. Oh no, I want you to look them right in the eye. Not even you thought I'd be here, but I'm still here. I'm still here. You know what makes great churches great? Time and longevity and people that stick with it while people bail and go somewhere else while they follow the smoke and the, and the lights and all the production and the hoopla and what's good and what's big and nice buildings and all the events and we got to have every program under the sun we got to give them basketball hockey we got to give them everything just to try to attract them you hear me there's something to be said about somebody that says uh uh God planted me in this church God planted me in Middleton Pentecostal Tabernacle and I'm staying come hell high water you may leave but I'm staying they may go but I'm staying they may turn and walk away for something else but I'm staying Everybody likes a good cruise. You couldn't throw Sherry Lynn on a cruise ship. But everybody likes a good cruise. I mean, what a great idea. That's what the Grimes family thought. We're going to do something different. We're going to take a cruise this year. For Thanksgiving, we're going to go to the Bahamas. So the family loaded up on a cruise ship a couple days before Thanksgiving and set sail out of Louisiana. They wasn't cooking no turkey this year. They was going to let the cruise ship do it. And Michael Grimes decided the night before Thanksgiving out there on that ship that he was just going to indulge himself and enjoy life. 
So he found himself wandering into one of them little bars there on that ship. And they were having a contest. It was tailor-made for Michael Grimes. It was an air guitar contest. And what they did not know is he was an air guitar master. So he asked with all boldness and arrogance, what does the winner get? And they said, well, you get the drink of your choice. I'll do it. Masterfully did he play the air guitar. And by the time it was done, he had won. He found himself enjoying life even more. And he wandered off onto the top deck of that ship. And when he woke up, he was floating in the ocean. The ship was gone. It was night. And when he came to himself, he was in the ocean. I don't really know for Ron Linville what would be worse than that right there. As if it couldn't get any worse. As he's treading water. And as fear is gripping him. He sees the fin. Of one of them things that's out there that is out there to eat you. It's only purpose in life is to eat you. I don't know where it happened. You can read this. You can find it out. I'll give you the information if you want. But I don't know where it happened, but it happened. He said, oh, no, I'm not going out like this. And he waited. And when that thing come underneath him, that shark come underneath him, he got his feet up and stood on that joker and started jumping up and down and screaming. And for whatever reason, that thing just turned and left him. But he's still in the water. And he's still treading. And there's still no hope of anything finding him. Come on. So he just treads. He just treads. He just fights. So severely. I mean, his energy's gone. He is at the point of just taking one last breath and just dropping out of sight forever. But in the nick of time, oh, we like these stories, don't we? We like these stories. In the nick of time, somebody recognized that Brother Grimes wasn't on the boat anymore. And they radioed the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard sent a chopper. And the chopper found him treading water. And Michael Grimes was alive to remind everybody that there is a way to survive. If you don't quit. Yeah I'm pressed but I'm not. 
oppressed. I'm in a tight, but it's not too tight. I feel the pressure, but I'm not overwhelmed. Hope seems gone, but I'm not hopeless. Come on, somebody. Come on. My confidence and my hope is in Jesus Christ. I'm not preaching to everybody, but I'm preaching to the person that's one step away from quitting. You're one step away from giving up. You're one step away from walking out of the church. The devil has convinced you that you can't make it. The devil has convinced you that you're not going to amount to anything. And it would be easier for you to quit than it would be to continue on. Hear me, you can make it. Hear me, you can overcome it. Hear me, you can defeat it. Hear me, you can have a testimony. A few years ago, Brother Scott Graham was preaching and told the story of a man a pastor of a little church in Missouri that had been in a horrible accident. He was in a horrible car accident and he was recovering and everybody around was praying for him. And Brother Scott Graham called him on the phone and he said, Hey, brother, are you making it? Are you going to be all right? And he said, Brother Graham, we're going to be okay. He said, I'm starting to walk a little bit. I'm starting to get my strength back. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. And Brother Graham said, Well, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. He said, Well, the Lord showed me something through all this. My God, I feel the Holy Holy Ghost, I'm about to preach for about two minutes. I think I got two good minutes in me. He said, the Lord showed me through something through all this. The Lord showed me that only those that hurt, that if you hurt, you've survived. If you hurt. He said, the Lord showed me that only survivors hurt. So every morning I get up, I remind myself that I defeated that wreck. Every morning I get up, I remind myself that the devil wanted to take me out. But God meant something for good to come out of it. Every morning I get up, I remind myself that only the survivors hurt. Only the survivors that have weathered the storm hurt. My God, somebody help me right here. You don't know why. God, why do I hurt? Why is the pain so unbearable? I'll tell you why. Because you're breathing. You got life in you still. The devil tried to destroy this man. The devil tried to take this man out. But only survivors hurt. I wish somebody would help me right here. I said I wish somebody helped me right here. Some spirits are in your face. Rebellion, anger, the les- I'm going to get in trouble right here. The lesbian, LGBTQPYZ agenda. Is that all right around here? Still preacher gifts homosexual. They're in your face. There's others that are subtle. I said there's others that are subtle. You can have sleeves down past your knuckles and a skirt dusting the floor behind you and be crippled by fear. You can talk in tongues every service. Roll in the floor. We don't do that no more in Pentecost. Roll in the floor. Talk in tongues. Go into your car and have crippling fear in your life. Because it's not in your face. It's subtle. It's a subtle thing. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. But the fact that you hurt, the fact that sometimes it seems overwhelming, reminds you every day that only survivors hurt. Lithered through scripture, we see a reflection of our own lives. The Bible is so relevant. The Bible is so real. The Bible is so alive. The Bible has its share of life's contradicting themes. We see the Bible revealing temptation, defeat, and trials, and tragedies, and woes, and punishment. Yet amidst it all, we see hope and salvation in the morning. Morning, we see gladness in the sorrow and pain we see joy in the despair we see God's miraculous provision and the Bible tells us how to survive our endless woes and tragedies for a hundred years Noah preached get ready a flood's coming can you imagine can you imagine what he endured the humiliation that his family had to endure the pressures and all of the struggles and all the embarrassment that he had to endure can you imagine but the Bible says in Genesis 9 28 that Noah lived listen to me Noah lived after the flood 350 years after the storm that wiped out humanity after the storm that destroyed the face of the earth after the, the storm that killed everything that wasn't in the boat the Bible says that there came a day that the door opened and Noah walked out of the boat and he lived 350 years after the storm that should have destroyed him why? Because God's put inside of you the ability to make it. God's put inside of you the ability to thrive. God's put inside of you the ability to endure. God's put inside of you the, the ability to defeat it. Hold on, elder. Hold on, elder. It's not over yet. It's not done. And if God's got to lengthen your days to see the things that he's promised, hold on. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. For 42 chapters in the book of Job, we read about his demise. We read about his friends. We read about that heifer of a wife that said, curse God and die. Where did she get that from? She got it from the devil. She got it from the devil. That's what the devil said when he came to God. You lift the hedge off him and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said, you can afflict him, just don't kill him. And so mama come in there and said, why don't you curse God and die? For 42 chapters we read about the opinions of his friends. We read about him losing everything. We read on and on about all that happened in Job's life. And then we get to the 42nd chapter. And God said when Job prayed for his friends... God turned his captivity. And it says God gave him double what he had before. And I said, wow, 
Lord, what a survival story that is. And I was reading it and the Lord said, you need to read on. And so I began to read on. And what we fail to realize is the Bible says, Job lived 140 years after. After a hedge was dropped and the Lord allowed the devil to afflict him. After he went through things that he didn't understand. After his world was turned topsy-turvy and God allowed stuff into his life that would kill the normal man. The Bible says that Job lived 140 years after that. And days were fulfilled. You know what that means? That means he passed the test that what God had set before him to accomplish Job didn't quit until he had seen it come to pass. My God have mercy. You better hear me. You can make it. I said you can make it. Look at your neighbor and said I'm still here. I'm hurting but I'm here. remember mama come on I'm about done God almighty got chicken and everything in me working and sweating like a middle linebacker or something up here I was in South Dakota you've heard me tell this those that hadn't I'm not living in this I thank God for where I'm at and it was the will of God to bring me where I am in fact my boy Caleb has turned a corner. I'm so proud of him. Man, he's turned a corner. Anointed to preach. He's run from the call of God on his life. Left us, left us a while back. And I told him, you're out of the will of God. He didn't listen to me. I prophesied in his life. And I said, son, this is not your dad. This is your pastor telling you. If you do this, 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 this is going to happen. And I remember standing in the conference that I told him that in. I didn't want to tell him. We were standing in a conference, big old place, packed out with folks. Touch the future is where we were, the Varnum's Church in Bellevue, Florida. We were down there enjoying the conference. I can't remember who just preached, but I turned and I looked at Caleb. And the Lord said, tell him. You better tell him. And I pulled him over and I said, boy, I love you. You're my son. I love you. But if you do what you're about to do, this is what's going to happen. And I told him. And he never flinched. He never flinched. He never flinched. And I'll be dog if he didn't do exactly what I told him not to do. And he moved away. And he went to another church. And you know, they'd put on Facebook and stuff. world was great. That's what we do, ain't it? We got the best marriage. Take a little snapshot every now and then of the food we're eating with our honey. Yeah, the world's great. Best church, best home, best job. Everything on Facebook, right? Oh, that don't happen here? That's only, oh. You know your world's falling apart. You know you're in a mess. You know you ain't happy. You know you're miserable. 
I went to preach at the church that Caleb was going to. And I ain't going to tell you the name of the church. I'm not going to tell you that. It's not important. But I went to preach. We were dedicating my, my, my grandbaby, Cassie. We were, we were dedicating her to the Lord. He wanted me to be a part of it. And the preacher asked me to preach while I was there for the dedication. He said, man, you might as well preach. And I preached. And at the altar call, I don't think they'd ever seen a miracle in their life. I preached on miracles. And the place was full. Right over here was a couple. I'll never forget it. There was a couple standing here. As soon as they walked down the aisle, I knew exactly what was going on. I said, let me tell you something. I said, you want a baby. And I said, you've been told you can't have them. You've been told that something's wrong and you're not ever going to be able to have a kid. By this time next year, you will have a baby. She crumbled up and fell. I walked over here and there was a young lady standing there and her husband was beside her. I said, yeah, you can't have a baby, can you? All over the place. I prophesied in her life and God gave him a baby. I walked over here and there was a man standing here and he said, I'm in kidney failure. I need a transplant. Three people in that church, Brother Will Banks, three had kidney failure. I said, there's something significant about this here. I'm not the smartest guy, but something's going on. And I began to seek the Lord. And the Lord said, what do the kidneys do? They filter out toxins. He said, this is a carnal church. I fought more carnality on the platform preaching there than I did in the pew. Caleb called me on the phone. He said, Dad, what'd you think? And I said, Son, you're in the wrong place. I didn't speak out against his man of God. I just said, you're in the wrong place. It took a year, Brother Will Banks. Caleb called me, said, Dad, everything that you prophesied, everything came to pass. He said, my world's a mess. My marriage is a mess, Dad. He said, I can't stay here. I got to come home. And he come home. And we loved him. Last week he called his mom and he said, Mama, God's give me a word for daddy. He said, but I, I struggle with fear and I don't want to tell him. She said, you call your daddy boy and if he laughs, you do what God told you to do. And I was working in my truck. And my phone rang and it was Caleb. I put him on speakerphone. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm working in my truck, boy, what you need? He said, Dad, I got a word for you. And I just stopped and I put the stuff down that I was working with. And I said, say on, boy. He said, Dad, you know I deal with fear. And he said, the Lord told me that he'd take all this away from me if I would call you and tell you this. And I said, say on. And he said, in South Dakota, when you went through the hell that you went through, 
He said, I never understood it. And I've had more questions than been answered. He said, I've had to fight bitterness. And I've had to fight anger for how they treated you and the men. He said, sometimes I think about the things that were said. And he said, man, something riles up in me that I could kill him, Dad. I could kill him. And he said, but God told me to tell you. See, there was a man. There was a man that was in the church that I pastor now who knew of me. We didn't have a good relationship. He come to me in Auburn, or his wife went to Auburn vet school. He come over to Opelika where I pastored. And he tuned his wife up one night, smacked his wife around, and I called him a sissy. And I said, you're a stinking coward. You ain't a man. And I said, you want to hit on somebody? Come hit on me. And he got mad and he left the church and never come back. But he had a stack of CDs from me preaching. I didn't know he was from Macon, Georgia. I didn't know that he went to the church that I pastor now. And when the pastor was leaving, this man said, I, can, I know a guy that would be right for this church. And they called me on the phone. And Caleb said, Dad, you remember all that? And I said, I remember it, son. What are you trying to say? He said, I'm trying to say that God will use somebody that's not right. God will use somebody that's not right to pull the man of God out of a pit and bring him into his destiny. Caleb, where did that come from? Caleb, where did you get that at? He said, Daddy, I'm ready. He said, I'm ready to preach anytime you want me to preach, Daddy, I'm ready. Oh, God. Survival stories. I went through it, Dad. And I got the pain and the hurt. But the hurt reminds me I survived it. Even the prophetic word that said God, you, God brought everything to pass that you prophesied. But His grace allowed me to live through it. Boy, you live long enough and something's going to come into your life that's going to rock your world. And you're going to hurt every day. And you're going to put on your facade and you're going to go through life. But deep down, the pain is going to be unbearable. And there's going to be times that you petition God. You say, God, if you would, take this away from me. And God's going to say, my grace is sufficient. And He's going to say, the pain reminds you that you survived. The pain reminds you that you made it through it. What the devil designed to take you out, the pain reminds you that you lived through it. You didn't ask for the abuse, but it came. But the constant pain, the day-to-day -day pain, reminds you that you survived it. You didn't ask for what life's dealt you, but the day-to-day -day reminder, the hurt reminds you that you're still here and that you survived it. That you survived it. Survival stories. Survival stories. Uh.
And Noah lived 350 years after the flood. And Job lived 140 years after losing everything and his world being topsy-turvied. He survived. He survived. You're going to stand over burials as caskets go into the ground of loved ones. And your heart's going to be ripped out of you. God, why? And eternity will not be able to give you the answer. But in eternity, it won't matter. But you've survived. You've survived. You've survived. You know how I know? Because the hurt. Only survivors hurt. Only survivors Holy Ghost is moving in this place. Let God touch you. Let God help you right here. That crippling thing, that crippling thing that's holding you hostage. Come on, let me pray. We pray today that this word has blessed you, minister to the needs of your life, until next time, God bless you.